Hello there, podcast lover. It is me, Russell Tovey, and... Robert Diamant. And we are here from TalkArt, and we have something to tell you. Acast have partnered with Law Coffee to create the Secret Podcast Experience, which is a series of intimate live shows designed to immerse listeners into the magic of podcasts. That means if you're lucky enough to get a spot on the guest list, you could be sharing a delicious Law Coffee with one of your favourite podcasters and a celebrity guest in a beautiful, unique setting. The exact location and who will be involved will all be revealed over time. But until then, that's our secret. Are you intrigued? Visit secretpodcast.co.uk to get your name on the list. Just in case, just in case, we might be doing the Law Secret Podcast experience. Nine-year-old Colton Clark and his older brother Homer were removed from their parents' custody and placed into what was thought to be a safe house with their aunt and uncle on a huge farm in Weewoka, Oklahoma. The perfect place for two young boys to run around and be kids, something they had not had the opportunity to do so far in their short lives. Unfortunately, the dream home turned into a nightmare and the boys would be subject to extreme violence and abuse for three years until one day Homer went to bed and his beloved brother, his best friend Colton, wasn't there when he woke up and he would never be seen alive again. This is Colton's story. Colton Levi River Clark was born May 24, 1996, into a drug-fueled environment. Despite the Oklahoma Department of Human Services working with the family to try to keep Colton and his older brother Homer with their parents, and Homer is two years older than Colton. However, the boys' parents wouldn't comply to their requirements to stay clean and sober and attend regular treatment. Because of this, in October 2003, Homer and Colton would be placed into state care. The boys' aunt and uncle quickly put their hands up to take the boys in. The couple, Rex and Rebecca Clark, didn't have children of their own and were seemingly excited to raise the boys as their own. An Oklahoma DHS were happy to accommodate their request. The first preference is when children cannot live with their parents for whatever reason, that they live with another family member. Initially, the boys loved living with their aunt and uncle. The couple took the boys to live on their farm in Weewoka in Seminole County, Oklahoma. It would be the first time the boys had ever been to the country. There was nothing but space for the boys to run wild and explore, a world away from the cramped apartment they lived in with their parents. The boys loved the farm and all the animals to learn about and play with. Rex would take the boys camping and taught them basic survival skills. Rebecca would homeschool the boys. They even had their names legally changed to mark the start of their new lives. Everything was picture perfect. Unfortunately, this surreal paradise did not last long. As the Clarks were foster parents, they had to take part in mandated meetings with DHS workers, where a worker would come to the house to make sure the situation was still suitable and the boys were happy and safe. As part of this visit, it was a requirement for the worker to actually lay eyes on the boys to confirm their well-being, and the Clarks had been keeping to these meetings. That was until 2006. The family's caseworker had made repeated attempts to schedule meetings with the Clarks. A date was agreed on, 
But then at the last minute, Rebecca would always call and cancel with some kind of excuse. That they had an emergency, the boys were sick. She realised they had another appointment that they just couldn't change. It wouldn't be until late April 2006 that Oklahoma DHS would determine enough was enough. Another appointment was cancelled as Colton was out of town visiting relatives to help them repair a goat pen on their farm. But the social worker from DHS would not take no for an answer and told the clerks they needed to see both the children. So an appointment was set for three days later, April 20th, 2006. This appointment would never take place because that very morning, Colton would be reported missing. Rebecca contacted the Seminole County Sheriff's Office to report Colton missing. She would tell the operator that she noticed him missing around 1pm when they went to his room to fetch him for the DHS appointment. His backpack and favourite red sneakers were gone, and his window was opened. It looked like he had run away. Rebecca theorised this was due to the DHS meeting, which nine-year-old Colton told her that he was anxious about and didn't want to take part in. Authorities were on the scene within minutes of the call, but Rebecca and Rex's behaviour had them suspicious of the report, that maybe this wasn't a runaway situation. Rex and Rebecca did not appear concerned at all about Colton's disappearance, or even interested in finding him for that matter. Rex just told police that because of Colton's survival training, he would be fine and could survive for months out there in the wilderness on his own. When Seminole Police Chief David Hansen asked Rex about his son to get some information for the press conference, he would refer to Colton in past tense. He also didn't speak about Colton with affection. He didn't seem affected at all. When speaking about Colton, Rex would curse and call Colton a sodomite and a pervert. Not how a panicked father would talk about their son in any normal sense. We are talking about a nine-year-old, 65-pound child here, and Police Chief Hansen would actually be more worried about the boy than the people entrusted to care for him and supposedly keeping him safe. Especially when it was revealed in the investigation that no one had seen Colton for months before he was reported missing. Police Chief Hansen would write in his report his concerns for Colton, and how he would handle the environment in Oklahoma in April, when the night temperatures dipped as low as low 40s overnight, and that's around 5 degrees Celsius to save you doing the math. And that wasn't to mention the animals that could harm him. Without anyone to really push the search for Colton, Police Chief Hansen took personal responsibility for the missing persons case, and really spearheaded the search, being the spokesperson for Colton in the media. A massive search was launched involving hundreds of law enforcement officials and volunteers, all desperate to find the sweet little brunette kid who wore these silver eyeglasses that made his gorgeous blue eyes look impossibly big. The search included drones, helicopters and cadaver dogs. Texas EquiSearch joined the search. This search continued for weeks with Police Chief Hansen at the helm, but no trace of the nine-year-old was ever found. Hello there, podcast lover. It is me, Russell Tovey, and... Robert Diamant. And we are here from TalkArt, and we have something to tell you. Acast have partnered with Law Coffee to create the Secret Podcast Experience, which is a series of intimate live shows designed to immerse listeners into the magic of podcasts. 
That means if you're lucky enough to get a spot on the guest list, you could be sharing a delicious law coffee with one of your favorite podcasters and a celebrity guest in a beautiful, unique setting. The exact location and who will be involved will all be revealed over time. But until then, that's our secret. Are you intrigued? Visit secretpodcast.co.uk to get your name on the list. Just in case, just in case, we might be doing the Law Secret Podcast experience. September 26, 2006, five months after Colton was reported missing, 5.30am, Rebecca rushed Rex to the hospital where he would remain for a week. 11-year-old Homer took the opportunity and he left. He packed his belongings in his school backpack and walked out the door. Rebecca would go back and forth between the hospital and the house for that week while Rex was in hospital. She knew Homer was gone, but didn't feel like it was important to report him missing too. Must be because of that survival training, huh? It wouldn't be until four days later that anyone would care that Homer was missing. On September 30th, 2006, the Seminole Sheriff's Department knocked on the door of the Clark family home. Because a neighbour of theirs had been burglarised, their gun and a cell phone were stolen. Rex had only just been released from hospital, so both Rex and Rebecca were home when the police arrived. It was at this point they thought to tell the police, oh, by the way, our other child is missing too. Homer would be located by police four or five hours later. They found him at a nearby trailer park with a friend. He told police he'd been sleeping in another neighbour's barn, not the one that had been broken into, another neighbour. When police were questioning him, they noticed an old dog bite and took him to the local hospital to have it checked. While being examined by doctors, they found a number of injuries including bruises and abrasions, scars and evidence of fractures that were healed incorrectly. Homer would break down and tell the doctors that Rex and Rebecca had killed his brother. But the Oklahoma DHS knew something wasn't quite right, but they couldn't prove it. It was basically Homer's word against the Clarks. So DHS did the only thing they had the power to. They removed Homer from their care. Homer would eventually be placed with another family, a military family, and they changed his name again to TJ Sloan. And out of respect for TJ, we will refer to him as TJ for the remainder of the episode. The family would first live in Spain before settling in Tennessee. TJ thrived with this family. He excelled in any sport he tried, and he would eventually receive a scholarship to college for baseball. But with TJ no longer living with the Clarks, there was no one to bring attention to the horrors of the home, and Colton's disappearance went cold. I prayed about it, and I thought about it, and I knew, you know, it was... It was time for there to be no more silence. Now 22 years old, Homer Clark is the key witness in a murder trial involving his aunt and uncle, Rebecca and Rex Clark. In court, he testified they forced him to rehearse a story about his brother's disappearance, and it was Rex who threatened to kill him if he called police to report Colton missing. As a boy, he went along with that story because he says he feared for his life, but not anymore. You know, I felt like it was my job and it was my legacy to, to live for Colt and to be Colt's voice and to come here and make sure that they were exposed. 2015. The now adult TJ had always wondered what happened to his little brother. 
and it wouldn't be until now that TJ had the strength to again come forward with the details on the extreme physical and emotional abuse inflicted on him and his brother by the Clarks. After police had previously discounted everything he said, there was always the fear the same would happen again. But this time, they did listen, and they would be horrified by the details TJ would share that would be the events leading up to Colton's disappearance. Homer described the two years living here as hell. No schooling, no friends, and constant beatings inside the Clark's bedroom. He says the boys were hit with wooden canes, hangers, bamboo sticks, even shocked with cattle prods. In late June, Homer returned to this home for the first time in nearly 10 years. He said this place is full of bad memories, but he wanted to come back here for two reasons. One, to say goodbye to his past life, but also to say goodbye to his brother. TJ claimed the abuse started about a year into their stay with the Clarks, that Rebecca would hit both the boys in the face with a broom with such force it would break the broomstick, that Rex punched TJ so hard on one occasion that he passed out and woke up in a pool of blood, that Rex would use a cattle prod on their genitals to wake them up and force them to drink their own urine. Rex would call them sexual deviants and force them to write deranged sexual fantasies in a journal. Both Rex and Rebecca would handcuff the boys to a bed at night, so they were forced to soil themselves if they needed to use the bathroom. But then they would be punished by physical beatings with fists, a wooden cane, bamboo sticks, electrical cords and metal coat hangers. Everything was escalating. However, one night in late March 2006, the day started like any other day with chores and activities for TJ and Colton. It was during dinner that the Clarks accused Colton of stealing Rebecca's turquoise ring. Colton was adamant this was not the case. He would never touch Rebecca's jewellery. After dinner, Rebecca and Rex told TJ to wash the dishes whilst they took Colton to a bedroom where the abuse would normally take place. While in the kitchen, TJ could hear his little brother, his best friend, crying and screaming for them to stop. This went on for at least 45 minutes, then all went silent. TJ would go into the bedroom under the guise of asking if there was any more chores, but in reality he wanted to check on Colton. Colton was lying on a bed whimpering softly. His face was severely bruised and battered. That would be the last time he ever saw his brother with his eyes opened. That night, Rex and Rebecca did not handcuff TJ to his bed. So he waited quietly under the covers until he knew they would be asleep. It was around 2.30 by this stage. TJ would find Colton lying underneath a sleeping bag on the couch. Colton's face was swollen and discoloured. TJ would later testify he wasn't sure if Colton was breathing or not, but he couldn't wake him. In fear of being caught being out of bed, TJ did not want to risk it any longer and went back to his bedroom. But then when he woke three hours later... Colton and the sleeping bag were gone. Rex was already awake and fully dressed, drinking coffee in the kitchen. This was unusual as Rex was not a morning person and wouldn't usually be awake at that early hour. Later that morning, TJ would ask where his little brother was, to which the clerk said they didn't know. Little 11-year-old TJ, frightened and intimidated from years of abuse and torture, would take this moment to speak up on behalf of Colton. He asked them to call the police. In response, Rex kicked him in the stomach. 
The Clarks would then tell TJ that Colton went to live with their biological father, but he couldn't tell anyone that, and if he did, they would kill him. Rex and Rebecca made him practice reciting various stories about what happened to Colton. This included one he told the social worker three days before Colton was reported missing, April 17, 2006. TJ told the visiting social worker that Colton was away helping a relative repair a goat pen. This would be when the appointment was made for April 20th, when the social worker told Rebecca she would return to meet with Colton. As much as they tried to instill fear in me and ruin my life, they didn't, they didn't achieve it. Homer Clark says he's ready to move on. Now that his aunt and uncle, Rex and Rebecca Clark, were formally given multiple life sentences for abusing Homer and killing his little brother, Colton Clark. He never got to see anything. He never got to go anywhere. I mean, he, he missed out on his whole life. He was nine years old. Uh, but I love him, and I miss him more than anything. As the Clarks were let out, they had words for Homer. Rex said that uh, he would live to piss on my grave. 2016, Rex and Rebecca Clark would be formally charged with child abuse, first-degree murder and child neglect, conspiracy to commit a felony, and intimidation of a witness. The murder charge was solely based on the testimony of TJ, as Colton's remains have never been recovered. And it is thought Colton was murdered at least one month before he was reported missing. The jury was shown photos of TJ's scars that were sustained by years of abuse. In tears, TJ testified, quote, I'm sorry this ever happened, that we got fouled by so many people. The kid never got a chance to live, unquote. Also instrumental in the prosecution case was the testimony of a witness named Randy Lehman. And Randy had worked for the Clarks in 2013, when he installed a storm shelter on their farm. Randy claimed that Rex chillingly told him, quote, Rex was talking about how he'd shoot anyone who would come on his property. And when I wanted to leave, I said, well, don't shoot my boy when he comes to fix the turbine. And Rex said, if I do... I will cut him up, put him in a barrel, cook him, feed the body to my five dogs, and scoop the bones and throw the rest in the river. Unquote. Rex was also quoted as telling a friend, They are never going to find him. I plan on walking out there a free man. Unquote. The verdict guilty on all charges. It took the jury a little less than three hours to come back with those verdicts for Rebecca and Rex Clark. Move. Move. You understand that? How you feeling? Get away from me, boy. Emotions running high. Rex Clark did not want to answer any questions as he and his wife, Rebecca Clark, were led away in handcuffs, still saying they did not do it. We're innocent. The Clarks were found guilty of four counts of child abuse by injury and one count of murder for killing their nine-year-old adopted child, Colton Clark, in 2006. District Attorney Paul Smith, who says he's been on the case since the beginning, gave his reaction. It's been a long battle. It's been hard fought by law enforcement for the last 12 years, and I can't tell you what a relief it is to the family and to in Colton's memory. October 9th, 2017. It would take less than three hours for the jury to pass down their deliberation. Both Rex and Rebecca were guilty of all charges. Judge George Bootner passed down his sentence. Both Rex and Rebecca were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for first-degree murder. And then for the child abuse against TJ, the couple received four concurrent life sentences. 
As they were led out of court, Rex would tell the media, quote, I don't figure to spend the rest of our lives in prison. We're innocent. Once we get honestly tried, we will be free. Unquote. He then fought against the guards and yelling in the hallway of the courtroom, causing a scene. As with any life sentence in Oklahoma, both the clerks had 10 days to lodge their appeal, which they did with earnest. Earlier, they told the judge, quote, you didn't have a damn witness, unquote, and quote, I don't agree with the verdict either because it was a travesty of justice, unquote. However, the court would ultimately uphold their convictions and reject claims of improper evidence and statements during the trial and ineffective assistance of counsel. Rex and Rebecca remain in prison serving their life sentences. They have never disclosed the location of Colton's remains. TJ has affirmed he will not stop until he is able to find his brother and give him a proper resting place. At the time of his disappearance, Colton Clark was nine years old. He was four foot four and 65 pounds with brown hair and blue eyes. Colton wore silver eyeglasses and had a scar above his left eyebrow. He was last reported as wearing a sky blue t-shirt, blue Wrangler jeans and blue and white sneakers. However, the accuracy of this is in question due to the person who reported him missing is now in jail for his suspected murder. Colton loved being called by his nickname, Colt. If you have any information regarding the disappearance and suspected murder of Colton Clark, please call the Seminole County Sheriff's Office on 405-381-9340. If Colton is still alive today, he would have just celebrated his 26th birthday. Happy birthday, Colt. May you be resting in peace, little guy. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, like the page so you don't miss an episode, and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Hello there, podcast lover. It is me, Russell Tovey, and... Robert Diamant. And we are here from TalkArt, and we have something to tell you. Acast have partnered with Law Coffee to create the Secret Podcast Experience, which is a series of intimate live shows designed to immerse listeners into the magic of podcasts. That means if you're lucky enough to get a spot on the guest list, you could be sharing a delicious Law Coffee with one of your favourite podcasters and a celebrity guest in a beautiful, unique setting. The exact location and who will be involved will all be revealed over time. But until then, that's our secret. Are you intrigued? Visit secretpodcast.co.uk to get your name 
on the list, just in case, just in case we might be doing the Law Secret Podcast experience.